0: Welcome to series two of Pollution from SalvageWire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire us. In this episode, we welcome Tom Rumbold of Cynetic. Having been part of the team that brought Cynetic together, Tom has recently been appointed CEO. We discuss Synetic, look at the future of auto recycling, leadership challenges, and more. So let's get straight into it. Tom, welcome to the Deep Pollution Podcast, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. As a way of introduction, can you uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your career, who you've worked for, and your current role within Synetic?
1: Yeah, hi, everyone. So I'm Tom Rumbold, the CEO of Cynetic. I'm Louis Sheffield. My wife, Emily, and my twin sons, Arthur and Albert. Outside of work, love spending time with my family. Um, I'm big into my music, house music, and I try and go to Ibiza at least once a year. Uh, I'm 42, so I'm right at the tail end of Generation X, which uh, is the, the work hard, play hard culture. I was a real child of the 80s, so growing up for me, it was Star Wars, Night Rider, football stickers, yo-yos, Rubik's cubes, um, Finder's crispy pancakes, proper chips from a chip pan and, and BMXs. Um, I didn't, sadly, I never had a BMX, actually. Um, but I did eat a lot of uh, Finder's crispy pancakes, I have to say. Um, I was actually appointed CEO of Cinetic on the 1st of January 2021. So this is a new role. It's still, still hot off the press, actually. But in terms of career and how I got to, to where I am, today i'll just talk you to it briefly so i started working 1999 uh, on the lloyd's bank uh, business banking graduate training scheme so technically those roles would used to be known i think as a, a small business advisor so that was the role i was i was designed to go into from that program uh, i first walked into a branch in north shields uh, up in newcastle uh, with my new suit on thinking i was going to uh, change the world and change banking and um one of the good people of North Shields had decided to smear their Saturday night takeaway all over the cash points outside. And actually, true story, that was the uh, the first thing I did in my career in banking. Pleased used to say actually that it it, it went it went uh, on from there upwards, and um, I'll, I'll talk about that shortly. So I worked for Lloyd's for just over 14 years, and a range of roles, and they were principally around business development or client management. I'm moving out of the business banking arena into a corporate banking environment uh, fairly soon and um, my job effectively was to win or manage um, high value corporate banking relationships. Um, I also did a stint in um, what we be known as the chief uh, operating officer's office albeit in a regional role and that was the exact opposite of what you'd expect from a, a friendly business development sales type. It was about audits, it was about Filing structures, it was about integration and IT and all the governance and all the really boring bits that are absolutely essential and regulatory bits that are really essential to to running a, a regulated um, corporate banking environment. And I took that role as a second for six months at the time of the HBOS Lloyd's merger. So that in 2009 was a really great insight into merger integration programs. Now, who'd have thought how helpful that would have been? about 10 years on, eh, Andy? Um, but I was looking enough to work in that role and it gave me a lot of a lot of development. In 2013, I left Lloyds uh, to join one of my clients, actually, which is a fantastic business called Company Shop. So it's a national business, but it had its headquarters in Barnsley. And at the time that felt like a really brave move. Uh, there I was, um, a new dad, six-month-old twins, um, about to leave something that I'd known for 14 years and, and completely step into the unknown. Um, I would got to know the business through lending them some money and pricing them away from the incumbent bank, got to know the MD really well, and he approached me about 18 months before, but being a cautious ex-bank guy, it took me a while to make that jump, but I suppose I'll ask you if you remember um, the programme Life on Mars, mm. that was me, uh, I, you know, initially a real fish out of water, so I went from that professional suited PLC, professional service environment, into a food and fast moving consumer goods, retail and logistics business. Um, But I guess proved some adaptability and some capability and very quickly, um, the business took to me, I really took to the business. And um, Company shops are a fantastic model actually. It's completely circular. It takes surplus food from the supply chain that might otherwise go to animal feed or landfill and resells that uh, in a brand secure, environmentally compliant and commercially viable way. So it's a fantastic model. And joining the business for me was as pivotal if I look back in my professional and, and personal life, so some really difficult challenges to face into. Without the, the large corporate environment, it, it was on me as a big piece around, around change. But it's also uh, bringing all those disciplines that I learned in the previous 14 years into a, into a fairly large. You know, it's a big business, 600 people plus into a, a fairly large but SME environment. So my remit was to go into that business and professionalize it. And I'm proud to say that that's what I did. Uh, four years, lots of hard work, but a fantastic outcome for the business that led to um, a Queen's Award for Sustainable Development. Mm. I had the pleasure of uh, of going to Buckingham Palace and, and uh, meeting the Queen. Lots fantastic. of industry awards, some great success, some fantastic partnerships with, uh, with major retailers, Asda, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Waitrose, Co-op, mm. Morrisons, Tesco. Um, and upon leaving that business in late 2017, I'd left that business with everything it needed to go on and go from strength to strength and I'm pleased to say um, it has done and I'm still really proud of of the legacy I left there. So that takes to 2017 um, where I set up my own advisory business um, imaginatively called TR Advisory so I bet you can't guess where the name came from Andy Um, but the aim of that was to bring all the previous knowledge I'd had in terms of the banking and the business restructuring um, and the organizational design that I then subsequently developed in, in um, the SME world and worked really closely with owners and management teams to bring all that good quality advice into, into one place. So I worked with quite a few clients in and around the UK, did a quite a big merger over in Ireland, uh, quite a big piece of work, uh, a merger for a business in Yorkshire, did some overseas consulting over in uh, Copenhagen uh, for someone that, that wanted me for something quite specific, um, and debt raising, business plans, mm. and, and things like that, that were obviously pointing to sort of the, the financial piece of, of my background. Um, but that's where I, I reconnected albeit I'd kept in touch with Richard um, Martin as MD of MotorHog for quite some time. I'd known Richard for 10 years.
0: Yeah.
1: So I won the banking of MotorHog from a competitor when I was in my Lloyd's business development role. So I learned quite a bit about the industry during that time, and I learned quite a bit about MotorHog and their position the industry. Mm-hmm during that time um richard at that point knew i'd got some time on my hands uh, so he asked me to come along to a meeting with him and we traveled over to meet uh, the schofields in cheshire and that was january 2018 and that was my first introduction to car transplants and they were having a very tentative conversation businesses together so to summarize a 15-month process into about a minute at the end of that very first meeting i suggested to to the schofields and the martins they should probably engage someone to undertake a, an independent vendor due diligence exercise which is effectively a, a broad scope report that tells one party about the other business and and vice versa um and they looked at me and said can you do it <laughs> <got a> <laughs> uh, and i said yeah okay um and then provided that piece of work and put a timetable together whereupon having read that piece of work about each other's businesses they decided that they're going to commit to a not a merger but commit to a process of exploring whether a merger made sense and thereafter i help the shareholders of all all the businesses that created synetic because there's more than just two as you know it was it was four get to a point where a deal was on the table and then work through what was quite complicated and quite involved you can imagine transaction process to to create synetic um and pleased to say considering how many moving parts there were, that was an incredibly committed and smooth Mm -hmm. process. And Synetic was born on the 1st of March,
0: 2019. Yeah. And now you're fully employed by uh, Synetic. What attracted you to actually leaving your own, your own business and and coming back into the, into the, um, the life of being an employed person?
1: Yeah. um, Well, the intention wasn't, you know, I, d- I didn't think, if you'd have asked me in January 2018, um, would I be executive chairman of the new business that's formed as a result of a of what is a fairly unique four-way merger? I'd have said no, um, but it's like a lot of these things. As you get under the, the skin, uh, the people, the proposition, the opportunity, the upside, the synergy, you know, um, which is where the, part of the name comes from, the, the synergy of putting those businesses together and overlay that with the the environmental zeitgeist um, and the sustainability agenda that we'll talk about later you know the opportunities that to kind of was just too you know and the opportunity to shape and to create one business from four was just too and if i'm honest was just yeah. too good to yeah. to say no to yeah. uh, and i have to say as we stand today i've uh, not had cause to regret that decision
0: and and how has your role changed now you've become ceo R-
1: well yeah great great question so um the exec chairman role was effectively an extension of the role I'd fulfilled in an advisory capacity, which was chairing the board, running the board, but also creating all the, the structures and governance and disciplines that, that one business will need, even more so when you combine it with four. So year one was all about integration, and that was actually absolutely right to do that in the exec chair capacity, all about integration, all about business growth, um, building systems, you know, brand people all of that. So what set effects of a is now that we've done that, so we are one business. And what I will say is when I've stopped work, whenever that might be, I will look back on this with incredible pride in creating one business in every sense, truly one business from every sense out of four really long established, but very different businesses at the start of this, mm. this journey. Um, so creating one business was really the key driver of the exec chair role. From the top down, and now in terms of the CEO role, its overall responsibility and overall accountability for the business, its performance, mm-hmm. and its people. Whereas, I guess specifically, the exec chair role was about creating all the building blocks and enablers that was going to create one business to then take Synetic on to, to growth in the future. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably how I'd yeah. best sum that up.
0: And you just mentioned, obviously, the you know the, the different elements coming together to form Synetic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what benefit does that bring to the to the vehicle recycling industry
1: in the UK? Um, principally it's it's the integrated offering, Andy. Um and, and unpacking that statement, it's salvage, dismantling, provision of green parts, IT and data services, and as you'll have seen with um, our merger and acquisition, our MA activity with the acquisition of, of Motorman. It's it's um, powertrains and and re, um, remanufactured um, and replacement engines for for fleet clients. So what, what does the benefits that Snetic brings to industry is principally it's an integrated it's an integrated offering, fully integrated. And I believe there's more, and we'll talk, probably talk about it later. There's more integration that, that we can provide mm. through through development of our own proposition and mm. um, strategic merger acquisition activity. So I think that's the first thing. It, it's it's that integrated approach. But I think more generally, the other thing that I think truly Synetic brings is it takes the best of the four businesses that created Synetic, but it isn't any of those businesses. It is truly something that's new. It's truly something that's unique. It's truly something where with Synetic we've had, and I've had the opportunity to look at what is the best in every one of those businesses and take that into Synetic, but also bring in some new things. So, you know, I've got a banking and finance background who are the best in the market at cross-selling products.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we can do that and bring that expertise into the salvage industry. i have also worked in food, FMCG, logistics. Yeah. There's some really great stuff about inventory control that we can bring into this business, and, yeah. and, and we are doing, Andy. So yeah. so I think it, it's, it's everything that all the every bit of the best bits, if you like, of all the legacy businesses that made mm-hmm. it up, combined with some new thinking, combined with that real drive and energy and dynamism and forward thinking and planning with an aspiration to lead, to say, the boundaries aren't what we've ever done. The boundaries are what we believe we can do. Yeah. So I think the benefit of the industry there is the ambition and the aspiration, as well as what is obviously an incredible platform in bringing the four, four fantastic businesses together that have obviously got really proud histories, but with internetic an even more exciting future. Yeah.
0: Oh amazing and obviously you mentioned those four businesses um you know and, and some of those businesses such as uh dh systems and uh and motorman um have got their own clients have got their own uh, customers uh you know how much freedom have they got to operate under the Cynetic banner I, you know I, I know motorman still trades as motorman but part of Cynetic. how much freedom do do you give them to, to work and to attract their own customers and their own clients?
1: Yes, yes. So um, I suppose for the record, and we're, we're absolutely on the record, um, Cynetic is one business. Uh, so we don't operate as a group. Mm. Um, and if you, you know, for the, the accountants in the audience, you know, there is one profit and loss account, one set of statutory accounts, one legal entity that mm. trades. Clearly, we have brands and channels that sit underneath that. So legally, practically, and behaviorally, were one business and that was a clear choice Mm because the shareholders had a choice it was do we operate four subsidiaries with a holding company or do we do some real hard yards and create one business and the the answer was resounding and emphatic we want to create one business Mm -hmm. and i'll explain why the name synetic comes with a combination of the words synergy and kinetic synergy is greater than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. which is a common theme, I think, that's going to be throughout this this podcast. And kinetic is motion, momentum, trajectory. So to unlock the synergies of the four businesses, they need to be one. Because if you run those four separately, you get, the, you get the sum of its parts. You don't get the greater than the sum of its parts, Andy. So bringing the business together is about unlocking synergy. And unlocking synergy for the client because it gives a better client proposition because it's a joined-up process where one business can undertake all these differential activities. That said, because we have now really strong governance, really great leadership, a functioning exec board, a really well-established operating board and a really well-defined synetic management team at SMT, the people that lead our channels and our brands have the right level of autonomy for their seniority within our business. But that's absolutely clear and it's really candid. And for me, Andy, um, you'll get to know this as we go through, I'm about telling people what they can do, not what they can't. So really clear delegated authorities, really clear areas of accountability, great measurement, the right level of resource, the right level of marketing support, the right central functions in place to support the whole business. So our, our channel leaders and our profit and loss leaders have that level of autonomy, but probably stressing the point a bit, it sits within one business practically, legally, behaviorally <laughs> as one team.
0: Okay, and sort of jumping forward a little bit, I mean you know you've recently announced some major enhancements to your Doncaster site's so, uh, quite an expansion of of Doncaster Does this mean that you know that multi site operation that you've you've had is, is changing or is this just a, a natural expansion of of the work that you're doing
1: It's the latter um, but it's a great opportunity to just talk about you know what what does that mean really mm-hmm. um well, it signals two things you know, confidence and aspiration that mm-hmm. so we have truly you know, the confidence to invest significantly in our infrastructure why well because we're in fantastic shape as a business but we've got really ambitious plans for the future and you, you know the the fil- you know the future is made on what we do today so if we don't invest today and decide today the future is not going to be what what we are aspiring for it to be Andy. so so the confidence and the aspiration is there to invest. As for the the property strategy, we're a national business. Our clients are national, and we're all about giving a market leading client service. And we can't do that without the geographic footprint. So it, it's for me, it's less about is it multi site, is it not? Yeah, we'll always need to have that. It's about are we where our, are we where we need to be to provide the best client service we possibly can and that's coverage and thereafter it's then about standards and quality and welfare and aspiration so do the sites we operate look sound act feel like market leading sites and whether or not we have a choice to invest to get them up to that standard or to exit and invest in the ones that that will so our property strategy is driven by our business strategy and as you'd expect but really I've answered it in those two parts, the same question, which is we need to be where we need to be, where we don't need to be somewhere we won't, but where we do, we will. So a great example, we've got 11 acres now in Glasgow, that's our Scottish hub,
0: Uh,
1: 25 extra acres in Doncaster, investment in Winsford to be a centre of excellence for electric vehicles. Investment in Doncaster be a centre of excellence for dismantling, but we've got half an acre in central London. Half an acre isn't strategic in in the same way that 50 acres is in Doncaster, but half an acre is strategic because it supports one of our key clients and it gives us presence and mobility in the centre of London. So I think it'll be less about how big it is and more about where it is and is it of a market leading standard.
0: And you mentioned electric vehicles there, um, and we know that, obviously, the increased levels of technology uh, and the complexity of design and construction is changing, um, how vehicles are recycled and the standards of the of the technicians that are doing that dismantling. Do you see a future where vehicle recycling technicians will need to be licensed by law?
1: It's fair to say, I think the, the pace of technological change in our industry is rapid, and synthetic you expect me to say this, but, you know, um, it's helpful. It's also true. We don't want to just keep up with that. We aspire to lead the industry, so we want to lead that change. And as an industry, I think, you know, we're doing really well. 98% of a vehicle can already be recycled, so we've come, come a long way already. Um, for me, thematically, I don't think the big change is going to be ever in how much is recycled. It's going to be what's recycled and how it's recycled. And for me, that's going to drive, you know, the what will drive the how. But from my perspective, I do absolutely see you know, an integrated approach and where automotive manufacturers are looking for closed-loop solutions. And I think what's going to come into law principally will be around safety because that's absolutely the primary concern that, that um, is my concern, my board's concern, our shareholders' concern, and our key stakeholders' and insurers' concern. It, the safety of individuals working on these vehicles and the safety of the components that come from those vehicles will always be of paramount importance and actually to the point about legislation and training and accreditation you know there's only going to be more of that as these things become potentially more dangerous and more risky and more technologically evolved but i think it comes back to that same point which is you know how safely an end-of-life vehicle is treated defines how safe and how much of that vehicle can be reused and recycled and I want you know I'm in this uh, in terms of why why I work for Synetic and other businesses you know a strong sustainability credentials and impact is really important to me personally and professionally Andy so my vested interest is in making it as absolutely safe as possible for all of Synetic's colleagues to create safe products that absolutely maximize the reuse and recycling of Mm -hmm. of of virgin materials
0: yeah and taking that that a little bit further recycle parts reclaim parts is a is a hot topic again and it looks like there's a true desire to make it work um obviously the vehicle recyclers association have worked with ebay and have introduced a part certification program so can you outline what cinetic are doing uh, to support certification and provide certified parts to the collision repair industry
1: yeah yeah you're right you know it's an incredibly exciting time to be in this space actually and there's positive action being taken um, and I choose those words carefully. It's positive action. Mm-hmm. It's not positive words, it's positive action. Mm-hmm. And in principle, you know, the benefits are clear for all parties involved. So I'm delighted to say we have passed uh, Cynetic, the VRA accreditation as, and as one of the UK's largest <laughs> providers of, of green parts, we feel from a Synetic perspective, we're well placed to become a, a key supporter in helping what is still an emerging and really nascent market in the UK, gain a wider understanding and adoption. We need to play our part with our, with our colleagues in pushing this further for it to become mainstream, but we can't really, you can't run before we can walk. So we, I'm encouraged by the, the, uh, the action that's happening, but what it's gonna take, if you ask me, is a critical mass of high quality accredited providers, which I know is what the VRA Association is trying to create. It's then with that follows a what is needed a depth and breadth of the right quality of reclaimed parts in the, you know, broadly in the right locations. And I think overlaying that from all providers, Synetic, no exception that relentless pursuit and commitment to quality, to consistency, to customer service and performance management, because this market has to, for me to be at least as good as, the aftermarket in those areas. Otherwise, you don't have the license to operate, and all the benefits that we've talked about for all the stakeholders—the carbon, the virgin materials, the the road miles, the price—you you can't you cannot operate unless all those other features are at least as good. And and to me, that is what we're doing with the VRA and building this pool of high quality accredited, um, commit you know committed to quality. Um, Dismantling operations to then provide that depth and breadth is a is a step in the right direction. And I think truly, if you have a personal opinion, once it re, reach a tipping point of public consciousness as the benefits of the, the planet and the insurer customer and the insurer become really clear, it's it it becomes incredibly compelling. And then there'll be a question of perhaps, why did we not do this sooner? And, and you look
0: back through the history of uh, certainly of, um, you know, fab and, and and the green the green parts that uh, that they have done over so many years um you know and they started this ball rolling so many years ago which now being part of, of the Synetic group makes you know makes your your um challenge that much less because it's already you know they've, they've already got the ball rolling they've already got it moving haven't they
1: absolutely and, and i think you know we may touch on it later, Andy, but there is, you know, we have a role to play as, as a market leader or a business that aspires to lead the market, because if the market leaders aren't leading the market to new, to growth, to innovation, to change, well, who else is going to do it? So absolutely it's incumbent on us to do that. And we're really up for that challenge, but you're right. What, SNETIC what has got, which is really a testament to the quality of the, the legacy businesses that make up Snetic, is some fantastic relationships and reputation and credentials and track record with some of the, the key individuals and key, key um, insurers and stakeholders that will ultimately make this decision. Yeah. So in putting our best foot forward, we have to be really strident and, and consistent um, and, and credible in our approach that says, we do have that relentless commitment you know, to consistency, to quality, to customer service and performance management and your body shops and your customers can trust us with a world-class green parts solution because unless it is it won't happen and i think actually that's fair enough because that to me feels like an equal exchange of value whereby the providers have to be step up to the mark and as and when they do there's a willing there's a willing audience and i think that that audience will only become more willing once the public consciousness and that tipping point is reached
0: amazing amazing and looking forward i don't know how good your uh, crystal ball is but um how do you think the sector will look like in two, five or 10 years time from now on? And, you know, obviously what Synetic will look like in, in, in that same timescale as well.
1: Yeah. So I'd frame that uh, I'd say, overall huge opportunities in the industry of, and for the industry. So not just within, but for both in the UK and globally. Sustainability and technology will be at the heart of this with an integrated and salvage dismantling opportunity. The green part space, digitalization of traditional channels and platforms and systems integration across the whole industry and, and different parts of the value chain, I believe will, will, will evolve. And then we've got, I think, the integration not just with vehicle recyclers and their clients, but with manufacturers, dealers, buyers, connected vehicles, blockchain, IA, Internet of Things. You can see how you could potentially see the whole life cycle of a vehicle from its, its virgin material to manufacture to end of life. In between the buyer experience, the connected vehicle, and, and, and so on, becoming a um effective like an open source end-to-end um data capture that gives you gives you all the insight you'll ever need. More practically, I think there's a consolidation opportunity in the UK market, which is still quite fragmented. Um, and I think the key players in those businesses are have a strong platform with standards, technology, scale, coverage, critical mass, and management capability. And I think as someone that's you know, I've got a background in M&A, merger and Acquisition Activity. To me, this looks like a market that's ready for some level of consolidation, but with consolidation that will benefit the clients and customers mm-hmm. through a continued improvement in proposition and processes. Um, so mo- you know, more globally, I'll go on to the two, five, and ten, because I've got some ideas about that. It's more glo- broadly and globally, I think I'd love to see more effective collaboration, if I'm honest. Um, and that's not a criticism of anything that's happened or not yet happened, but many insurers, you know, the global or pan-European automotive manufacturers, you know, the same um, as to a, a number of the salvage players. And I think there's probably more we could do as an industry, not just as a, a, as a nation, but as an industry to unlock the synergies and learn from global best practice. I, I really do. And I strongly believe that we have got a role to play in the UK as a market leader, because I think the UK market is so well-regulated and so professional and so competitive. That's driven standards. So I think there's a role within that that I'm not sitting back and saying you know, those guys over there globally need to drive the best practice. I think there's enough best practice in the UK that we could we could absolutely play our part. But given the the, you know, the global nature of the the industry, I think there's more there's more we could do. And I think the opportunity is, for environmental impact specifically, is to bring the best practice of the mature markets into the emerging markets. Um, two years, my crystal ball's out now. We're out of the shadow of break, out of the shadow of COVID. COVID, that's two years. So this is the optimist in me. We're out of the shadow of COVID. Brexit impacts played through, and I think there's an onshoring. There's a push to onshore green parts, which I think that leads to a takeoff in green parts. And there's been some market consolidation, and I think personally, I'll hopefully have managed to, to get to Ibiza because I haven't this year, and I'm gutted about that. Five years, I think there's a full adoption of green parts. I think green parts policies have been developed by insurers for the clients. I think we'll see carbon labeling going mainstream on food and everything else that we buy. So customers are discerning about how much carbon goes into what they purchase. Um, I think we'll see integrated salvage parts and technology offerings come to the fore. I think we'll see batteries as a service take off for EVs. Uh, I think we'll see more single passenger mobility solutions, if I'm honest. in in that small format. I know it's the weather's not great in the UK for these sort of things, but I do, I think we'll see what's what's more of those. And I think some of those might even be 3D printed actually on the roads. Um, And I think we'll see manufacturers adopting a direct to consumer model, because I think they're looking at other industries and and seeing what the Tesla's of this world are Mm. doing and thinking we need to go direct to our consumer. Uh, And I think there'll be some a a bit, I think there'll be more market consolidation in the UK. Mm. 10 years, I see the UK market dominated by a small number of, of key players aligned to a changing process in readiness for the first wave of end of life EVs, the big volumes that are hitherto, I think, will have only been sort of trickling through yeah. um, given you know, that it's, it's an average of 13 years, I believe in the UK for an end of life vehicle. So th- they'll, in 10 years, there'll be a big gear up for the end of life EVs. I think we'll see the emergence of mobility as a service. I think the millennials and, and beyond uh, you know, won't see a huge amount of benefit in owning a vehicle and using it for an average of, Um, 100 minutes a day I think that we'll see more of that and I think we'll see um, more of the the small format mobility um, build out I also think we'll see manufacturers adopting the closed loop as I alluded to earlier Mm. um, where an old car makes a new car and uh, at some point through data or um, legal control they'll control that supply chain or own some of that supply chain Um, I think that will be obviously around end of life EVs, and I think from a personal wish, um, I hope Oasis are back together and touring. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: leave, leave. We'll leave that on that note. <laughs> oh, amazing. Now, looking at your career, you've held a number of different positions across your working life, and you've obviously not sat back and uh, rested on your successes. What drives you to continuously? Move forward, grow your knowledge, your skills, your influence.
1: So, um, ultimate drive um, is to make my family proud. Uh, everything else thereafter has been off from that. And when I think about that statement uh, as a as a child and as a in my early parts of my career, that would be principally my parents and my nan and granddad. That was incredibly close to. And now, as I think about that as a as a middle aged man, it's still my parents, thankfully, but it's also my family uh, and. I, I want my two boys to be proud of the dad.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but with everything I've done, the how, the common theme, that's the why, the how with the common theme, it, I've always wanted to push my personal boundaries. Yeah. Um, never stay in a comfort zone, whether that's within a business or within a role or taking on new challenges. I've always been the sort I want to you know, test myself, uh, always seeking opportunities to learn and to develop. And I enjoy that feeling, um, which is daunting, but exhilarating and exciting of, been out of my comfort zone and trying new things. Um, and I've always had that kind of restless curiosity to learn and get into new and different situations. So you can probably see it in terms of gone from banking to food to MA advisory to salvage. You know, it, it, the common theme there is it's different, you know, yeah. and, and and new. And I think I'm doing that I, I kind of a real commitment to make sure that in everything that I do, I do it to the absolute best of my ability. So I don't choose to do 100 things. I choose to choose two or three things and do them to the, the absolute best um of whatever ability that I've got I won't always I'll always give it 100 percent and and what's happened there I suppose that in turn has led to other opportunities that have given me further opportunities to try new things yeah. and then you know if you've asked me 10 years ago if I you know, ten years ago I'm, I'm in Lloyd's bank just actually consistently shaking hands with Richard on um on lending him some money um to refinance and buy some other businesses. Um, if you'd have told me my career would have would know, would have would have stayed in banking, not just in banking, but with the same bank, I'd have believed you and have been incredibly happy doing that. But I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunities that I've had, but I'm also really grateful that I've taken them yeah. because they've led to a whole new yeah. world where, as we sit today, I'm, I'm the CEO of, of Cynetic um, with a with quite a valuable and diverse, challenging, but successful um period behind me that gives me i guess the confidence that i'm the right person for this mm-hmm. job
0: and we'll have young and aspiring leaders listening to to this podcast uh people who want to grow and develop their leadership skills in the industry what advice could you give them or, or in other words what advice would the current tom give to the 22 year old tom
1: well yeah it's, uh, That's a great question. I suppose what I can say, having been in the industry for a couple of years, it's a really exciting time to be here. So if there's anyone that's not from the industry that would be listening to this, I would say join the industry because it's an incredibly exciting time. So if you're interested in sustainability, if you're interested in innovation, in technology, in standards, in driving safety, just to name a few, you're in the right place. And actually there's a potential because of the dynamics that individuals can can make a massive difference. And individuals are making a massive difference in synetic on a daily basis. And I think you can you can expound that out. Individuals will, can make a difference to the industry. So I'll say that first and foremost. I suppose the advice I'd give the 22-year-old Tom Rumball is it would just be a couple of things. Uh, I think first it would be, know that people are not necessarily against you, that they are for themselves. And this is framed in probably a much better quote than, than I've just said there. But once I read this and then really understood it, to be true it it makes life much easier so there's always a time when you think it's about you or you take things personally if people don't agree or won't see your way of thinking or won't change as you'd like them to and actually if you take a step back and understand that they're not against you not there to be difficult they're there for themselves for their own reasons then you can start to be more empathetic and understand those reasons Um, and actually once you can walk in someone else's shoes and see situations much more clearly you get a better outcome. And I think more importantly, it's much less painful for everybody to get to that better outcome. Yeah. So see, that would be the, the first bit of advice I would give the 22-year-old me because I've will spent um, more energy than than I needed to wrestling with. I'm sure that person's doing that on purpose. And, and they're not in the main, Andy. Um, so and the second major piece of advice I would give the younger version of me is that tough times pass. When you're having a tough time and people will, and and do know it understand it make the best of it learn from it but absolutely know it won't be forever
0: yeah.
1: and again the if the younger version of me um had that advice um the outcomes broadly would have been the same but the process of getting there would probably be yeah. be um, slightly less punishing amazing
0: wonderful now bearing in mind you know, your role and your position, I, I I would assume that you do get the opportunity to read books from time to time. <laughs> um, is there a, a management, leadership, a business book that you've read in the last 12 months that you'd recommend to us?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling, Andy, because anyone that knows me with this Netic knows just how much I love a quote. So um, from Peter Drucker to Simon Covey to Bruce Lee to the Dalai Lama to Mahatma Gandhi um to Zig Ziglar to Vince Lombardi um I think I've, I've probably used nearly all of them over the last uh, 20 months so they'll know how much I love a quote but yeah they tend to be from the you know great business books um rather got into a lot of these during my management degree actually and uh Covey Seven Habits, Jim Collins, Good to Great, Competing for the Future, Michael Porter, Peter Drucker, massive reader, consumer of, of management books and that's my, my academic background and why I feel like I'm um, I'm blessed to have had the career I've had so far because it's in my area of personal interest and and that always helps, doesn't it? Um, but the book one I keep coming back to, it, it's um, it's written by Jack Welsh uh, and it's called Straight from the Gut. Uh, and it's a great book for anyone that reads it because it's written from the view of someone that's been there and done it. And it's telling a story through, the, through Jack Welsh's own experience. And that's really, really powerful. I'm recommending it because it, it's, it's not difficult. It's incredibly well written, but the concepts aren't abstract. They're just absolute common sense. It's about confidence in yourself. And it's about giving confidence to others and giving that confidence to them so that they will act. It's about knowing yourself. It's about being humble. It's about giving meaning to the job. And you have to find meaning in yourself before you can yeah. give it to others. Yeah. And it's about telling people where they stand, I've been totally honest, and celebrating success. Mm. And all of that is wrapped up with the absolute expectation that the job of a leader is to give that meaning, is to tell people, they stand and also make make work and make life fun and to distill what is four or five hundred pages in in 30 seconds now that's how i've tried to live and that's how i've tried to manage and subsequently tried to lead um and for me it's all in there and it's it's one of those it's a great lesson and it's it's from someone that's that's hugely Mm -hmm. credible
0: Mm -hmm. amazing amazing Getting to almost to the final questions, but um, if there's one thing that the UK government could, uh, could do that would have the biggest benefit to Cynetic, to, to the industry, what would that be?
1: So I mentioned that before. I think as Cynetic, we aspire to the marketing leader. We perceive ourselves to be that. We're the architects of our own future. Um, and we're well regulated. You know, we, we've touched on this. It's a, it's a very, very um, mature uh, and well-functioning market. High-quality environments benefit over time from updates and iterations to regulation that the, the key players of which we're one have, have adopted. Mm. Customers, insurance clients, are really clear on the integrity and safety and statutory responsibilities we all follow. So we've got a good start. So it's a really sound platform. So I don't believe it's necessarily through legislation, but what I do believe is um, the the biggest benefit will be the enabling and the enabling facilitation and reassurance to the public and businesses that green parts are safe. And brings those really strong environmental benefits will be the biggest and I, i've got a, 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 i suppose a real life example of this andy so in my former role as a commercial director company shop i engaged with um, it was list trust at the time but it was um defra um so it was it was the government down Def through defra industry peers and ngos and we came together um to create a really effective working group that Created a common language and a common framework and a mutual understanding around the subject of food waste, and that wasn't legislation; that was voluntary action, but with the right stakeholders together with a common aim. And I think the role of government, if you're asking me the question, what's the one thing they could do, it it would be to engage with the industry, the, the industry peers such as ourselves, the relevant NGOs to come together to create a framework of mutual understanding and an endorsement of the green reclaimed parts base to get the the reassurance and to that tipping point and to that, the credibility. And for me, that'd be the most impactful piece, but it's incumbent on ourselves to also provide the industry voice, not individually, collectively, because clearly we need to have that collaboration. Um, But think specifically to me, that I know it's, you know, Grant Chaps and the other, you know, they're busy, aren't they? Let's be honest, we've got COVID, we've got Brexit. But if you're asking me the one thing, it'd be that. And I think that I've seen it work and it takes time. But once you have your terms of reference, once you have that mutual level understanding and that aligned goal, you can pull together very quickly what first seems like a quite a disparate group of stakeholders into a really cohesive unit that have got a common aim and you then you put the usual hygiene around that of plans and milestones and frameworks yeah. and you get fantastic results
0: that is that is so powerful that is amazing uh, yeah um brilliant fantastic I, I i love that answer and just just engaging and that working group that's just they're just so powerful thank you so much uh for, for giving that one final question and, and we ask all our guests this last one on the podcast what was your first first car and do you have any special memories of that car
1: yeah so my first car it was a, a 1993 navy blue fiat uno 1.0 ie fire uh, <laughs> K348PTN was the, the registration. So I actually bought it from a colleague that I worked with at the time and uh, who worked in the, the Lloyds Bank North Shields branch. I bought it for £975, and that was with my third Lloyds Bank paycheck. And truly, Andy, I still don't think I've had as much free cash since as those days. Um, I obviously wasn't doing enough with it, but I seemed to have more money when I was uh, 21 on... Um, £17,000 a year than I've ever had since. Um, but car ownership, joking apart, was never really within my reach until I I uh, started my first career job. And that was my start of real independence and, and mobility. So I was working in, in Newcastle, uh, had friends and, and family in Sheffield. So I spent a lot of time in, in that car, up and down to various places in the UK. Uh, some fantastic times in that car, none of which I'm actually prepared to share today, I have to say. And as um, so I say, someone drove into me coming out of a junction, which is such a shame, it had to be written off. Um, and I'm sure we're not ashamed to say, I did shed a tear when it was towed away to be bailed because um, it meant a lot, I have to say. And uh, yeah, that's my uh, first car story.
0: Amazing, absolutely amazing. Tom, it has been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, the answers and the, and the discussion yeah, there's so much in this and, uh, and all, all, all the listeners, I'd encourage you to go back and, and play, play the podcast again and listen to it again. But Tom, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, thank you Andy.
0: A big thank you to Tom for his time and knowledge. You'll find details of, on how to contact Synetic in the notes for this episode. Our next podcast is with Rukush Kosh of LC Media, where we talk storytelling, strategy, creative thinking and public speaking. So don't forget to subscribe and please take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating. Thank you and we'll see you on the next podcast.